This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. And remember, the Mike Francesa Podcast is on the Bet Rivers Network. You can bet at Bet Rivers in New York, and if you're listening in New Jersey or Connecticut, make your bets on Play Sugar House. But remember, in New York, it is Bet Rivers, and this is, of course, uh, on the Bet Rivers Network. And as we move into the later days of... Uh, July, we are a little more than a month away from the football season. It's right around the corner, and before you know it, and we'll have a lot to tell you about what we're going to do during the football season, some very interesting stuff that we're putting together. Our Football Friday podcast, which will be live every week on Friday, will be uh, something that'll be a lot of fun. So we're uh, putting it together, and we'll tell you more in the weeks to come. Um, The Yankees and the Mets, finally it's here tomorrow. The Mets had a big win last night, needed a win, needed to break out. They finally did. I mean, it looked like they weren't going to, but, you know, it all happened very quickly. Uh, They were getting shut down. They were getting no hit for a while. And then came the inning where Marte hits a single. Lindor hits a line drive double uh, down the first baseline. And then they pitch, second and third no out pitch to Alonzo and hang him a breaking ball, and good night, the lights, three-run homer there. They added a bunch of runs and exploded after that. So the Mets finally got the bats going, got a win, uh, and go into the uh, Subway Series tomorrow night uh, at 59-37, and a game and a half ahead of Atlanta, and they break that three-game losing streak and come in off a win, which is a, a very distinct positive. Obviously, a lot of talk about the Mets and a lot of things leading up to August 2nd. A lot of names being mentioned about. I don't think something like Soto is going to happen. I don't think Washington's going to trade Soto inside the division. And I think it'll be hard to trade a player of that magnitude probably in season. I, I think it's a very difficult thing because you're really limiting the amount of teams that can even think about it right now. So if you want to get the best bang for your buck if you're Washington, the rest of the season doesn't mean anything to Washington anyway. So what if they keep him for the rest of the season and then make the trade that they can make? Trading a player that magnitude at that age, you expect an incredible package back. And you're going to hear a lot of rumors, but I I think it's more logical that he gets traded in the offseason, but we'll see how that plays out. The Mets clearly are going to be in the market for a relief pitcher. Their starting pitching has been excellent, and they still have DeGrom right around the corner, they hope. No reason to think that he won't be right around the corner now. And they need to add a versatile bat. You're hearing a bunch of different names. You're hearing Drury's name mentioned all of a sudden. That would be an interesting bat. Uh, They need a power bat, an RBI bat for the middle of that lineup. They can fit him in in a variety of different ways. They need that. And they need an upgrade in relief pitching, which I think they'll get. 
And I think they will add a bat before the uh, trade deadline. As for the Yankees, who come off a uh, weekend in Baltimore, five and five last 10, obviously still with the enormous lead, 12 and a half games over Toronto. The key now is how do you replace King, which is not an easy thing. You have questions about who's going to step up in the bullpen now. It's all on Holmes. You know that. You need Holmes to be Holmes where you're going to hope that he is because if you don't, you don't have any answer for him anyway. That's how bad Chapman's been. And now replacing King, who had been one of the best set of guys in baseball, is not an easy thing. See, I don't think the Yankees need this bat that everybody's talking about. I think they need an upgrade in their pitching because when you look at it, the key now for the Yankees is playing judge in center field because that frees them to have the lineup they want to have. And that's LeMayu, who can play third, who can play multiple positions, can also DH. Judge, then Rizzo, then Stanton, but Stanton goes to right field. Carpenter, huge key to get Carpenter into this lineup, and there's your bat. So you put Carpenter at DH, guy's got 14 homers and 35 RBIs and 93 at-bats. And I think he will hit quality pitching in the postseason. Then you go Torres, Donaldson, shortstop catcher. So there's your lineup. You don't have a place to put – if you're going to play LeMayu and Carpenter, you don't have a place to play anybody else. If you're going to play LeMayu, Carpenter, and Donaldson, there's no one else to, nowhere else to play anybody else. Right now, Gallo and Hicks don't have any spots anyway. You're going to have Stanton, obviously. You know, and you're going to have Stanton, and, and that's going to be a big key. And you're going to have to figure out where you're going to play someone in left field. So you're going to play Carpenter. You're going to play LeMayu. Somebody in the outfield or move guys around. But that's the question, Mark. If you want to play the lineup I just mentioned, then you have to play either LeMay or Carpenter in left field. And the other one, DHs. That gets you the outfield. That gets you the lineup that you want. And that is the premier lineup for the Yankees. LeMay, Judge, Rizzo, Stanton, Carpenter, Torres, Donaldson, and then obviously the very steady hands of the of of uh, the shortstop who has been so good and has been solid in every way, especially in moving guys along and getting big base hits at the bottom of the rallies and stuff. And then Trevino's having a really good year, and you have the two guys a catcher, and you can live with them at the bottom of the lineup. That's it. That's the way you have to play that. Gallo sits, Hicks sits, and he's a defensive caddy for either Stanton or the left fielder, whatever you want to do there, depending on who you're playing there. Who gives you the best glove day in, day out in the outfield? Does it give you a great defensive outfield? It doesn't, but it gives you the offensive outfield that you want. But if you bring an outfielder in, if you bring a Benatendi in, then somebody's not playing. Then LeMayu, Carpenter, or Donaldson are not playing. So that's an interesting question. I don't think they bring another big bat into the lineup. I think they go good pitching, which they need. Their starting pitching has some issues. Their relief pitching clearly needs an upgrade now. 
So I think the Yankees are going to be busy looking for pitches in the next couple of weeks. That's going to be the key for them. And I think once you have discovered Carpenter here, he's the bat that you're looking for. You put him in the lineup, and that's it. You cover the, you cover with Stanton in right. You put Carpenter or LeMayu in left, and you put the other one at DH. Unless you put LeMayu at third and, and Donaldson at DH, which you can do some days too. Or swing it around and play all different variations of that with the DA spot. But Judge has got to be in center field. The idea of him going back to right field really will clog you up and would put Hicks in the lineup every day, which that's a downgrade from a bat standpoint. So as we get ready for this series, this much-anticipated series, there should be a real buzz in the stadium. I've always been a big, big proponent, as you know, of the Subway Series. I've always felt it has added a lot to every baseball season. I've been to, you know, two-thirds of the games, maybe more over the years, and very rarely is there an empty seat. Very rarely is there not a buzz. Most of the time it has been very interesting stuff. Now, did it lose a little bit of luster when George left? Yes, when he passed, because he cared so much about it. But I think now there's a different tone to it for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, the fact that the Mets have such deep pockets at ownership. And number two, Buck being there. You know, Buck is a guy whose roots are Yankee. Buck is a direct descendant of Billy Martin, as, you, as everybody knows. And you know his Yankee roots. And now he's on the other side of the, uh, of the fence. And he's promoting Met history, as you heard last week, if you heard the interview I did with him. Where he said a lot of interesting things. As he always does, because Buck says interesting things. More than watching the inane broadcast last night and, you know, trying to find out what the left fielder was going to eat for lunch and dinner and how he wanted to have his name pronounced. I mean, my God, how tedious was that whole thing? But, hey, trying to fill these national broadcasts isn't easy. That's for sure. But we're looking forward to tomorrow night. There should be a real buzz in the, in the stadium. Two at City Field, then two back at Yankee Stadium in late August. I think it's August 22nd. is the first of the two games at uh, Yankee Stadium. Both teams are clearly headed to the playoffs. I think it was important that the Mets came into the series still in first place. They are. They're a game and a half in front of the Braves who have put the pressure on. The Mets really have struggled for runs, but last night they finally did break out. And, of course, as always, as always, Alonzo was in the middle of it. I mean, they are, they are as a team, so dependent, so dependent on Lindor and Donaldson, you know, to get their runs. They really are. I mean, that it's, just, it's just who they are and how they have to do it. They really are that. And clearly, they need to upgrade their relief pitching. They traded a reliever to get the lefty bat they wanted. That bat is... An, Upgrade, but not a major upgrade. It's an upgrade, but not, a, not anything that you're going to hang your hat on. 
But, you know, they need Alonzo to do what he did last night, drive in runs, as he has all season. He drove in four last night. He got some big hits. You know, Marte got it started, then Lindor moved him along, and then, of course, they pitched to Alonzo, and he came up with a couple of big hits, the three-run homer, and then the double later on that all, you know, in right center field that I know could have been corporate. It wasn't. And they, you know, finally exploded for eight runs and 12 hits, which they needed to do, which they haven't done in a long time. The Met bats have been very, very quiet. And it'll be very interesting as they go into this series. And really, like I said, this should be a, a tremendous, tremendous buzz at the ballpark tomorrow night. Uh, Montgomery against Walker in game number one. Uh and the Mets, as you know, have struggled against left-handed pitching. And we're not sure what's going to happen on Wednesday yet. We'll see. I know the Yankees are listing Ramon. I don't know if that's a definite. We'll see. We don't know the uh, Mets haven't made a decision yet. They haven't made a statement yet. But we do know Montgomery and Walker for game one of the series uh, at City Field. Uh, tomorrow night. So it should be very interesting. Yeah, emails when we return. Want to email the Mike Francesa podcast? Drop Mike a note at podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa podcast. You can send your emails, questions, comments, whatever to podcast at gmail.com. That's it. podcast at gmail.com. This is John who starts us off with Considering Luis Severino can't make it through a full season healthy, could you see his future with the team as a closer? Not automatically, no, I don't. Uh, I think the Yankees have found the closer. Now, obviously, we need to see him do it in the big games. We need to see him do it in the postseason. But he has been so good this year that you have to believe that he's going to be able to be that kind of pitcher come the the postseason for the Yankees and be the closer that they hope he can be now. Uh, I wanted the Yankees to move away from Chapman. I wanted, uh, but I didn't know they would find someone so quickly who would be so good. Now let's see if he can be that good when the pressure's on. This is from Efren. Aaron Judge is obviously having an amazing year. Is Judge in the same stratosphere as Mantle talent-wise? Listen, I don't put anybody on a level with Mickey Mantle. That's not fair to anybody. He was the rarest of talents, power and speed, switch hitter, the greatest switch hitter of all time. So I don't think that's right to do. Uh, Let Judge continue this year. Let him lead this team to a championship. That's the most important thing. Judge needs to have postseason moments. He needs to have winning postseason moments. He needs to have some rings and lead the team when the game is on the line, in the postseason, in the big game, in the playoffs, in the World Series. That's how you establish yourself as a Yankee. Yes, he's having a tremendous, he's having a great season. He's having a season worthy of any Yankee seasons. But again, Season's not over, and October is very different than it used to be because, you know, in the old days, October was 
four to seven games in the World Series. Now it is a month of play. Now it is a very big part of the entire season. And it has become very much a postseason sport. And what you do in October establishes greatness, nothing else. This is Clayton who emails, lots of folks have linked Soto to the Mets just because of Cone's deep pockets. However, the haul to get him will be huge and the Mets farm system is still a work in progress. Do you think the Mets should do it anyway? Listen, I would not in any way discourage the Mets from kicking the tires on Soto. Anybody, anybody would be nuts not to kick the tires on a player of this magnitude. Rarely, rarely in the history of baseball has there been a player of this magnitude who has had this kind of start to his career, who is 23 years old, okay, has already hit 118 home runs, has already been a champion, has already had, you know, big seasons, big seasons. He's already had, you know, years where he's, you know, 34, 110, 29-95. He's going to have another season this year. He already has 20 home runs at this point in the season. All right. This player, who is just 23 years old, there hasn't been many times that a player of this magnitude, of this kind of talent, has ever been available at this age. Dating back to the Obvious sale of Babe Ruth. I mean, so anybody would be crazy. This is a player with almost a lifetime OPS that, you know, is in the high nines. This is a special, special slugger. So he's a guy who can hit 300. He's a guy who knows the strike zone. He's a guy who has immense ability and power. So anybody would take a serious look at him, but I don't think, I think it's, let me put it this way. I think it is unlikely, unlikely that they will trade him in the division. I just, I I don't think they want that. And like I said, if they trade him now before the August 2nd deadline, they are going to limit where they can send him. If, they wait to the offseason. There are still limits because there's a lot of teams that can't afford them. You're talking about a contract that's going to be over $400 million. There are only a number of teams that can handle that kind of contract. If he goes in season, I think it's more likely that he would go to a place uh, on the West Coast. I think he could go to uh, San Diego. I think he could go to Texas. Uh, I think he could go to a couple of other places, but it's limited. It really is limited. And I don't think they want him in the division. So I, I would really think it's unlikely that he goes to the Mets. In your eyes, who are some of the worst 
contract signings all time for both the Yankees and the Mets. Well, we all know the names. I mean, we can go back and and think of the guys who come here, get paid and never play, which happened in a number of cases with pitchers, come here and never play. And Ellsbury was a guy who had wonderful, wonderful MVP-type talents with the Red Sox, who just never could get out of his own way with the Yankees. And obviously, both teams have had staggering failures at, with big names. So, I mean, I think it's redundant. We all know the names, and we all know the contracts. Uh, Will asks, Mike, should the Nets clean house or run it back with Durant and Irving for another season? Um, I don't like any of the Net options. Keeping them almost seems like a betrayal after what went on here. As I've told you many times, I would not have Irving or Harden on my team under any circumstances. Durant's a little different. We know he's got his Achilles heels. We know he's got his personality flaws. But he is a wondrous talent who, when he's on his game, is uh, an all-time great player because of his ability to shoot and score at that size. He's an unstoppable offensive player. Um, if I were them, I would try to keep Durant and get it turned around. I'd be very careful about dealing at all with Irving and Simmons. But I think keeping Durant makes more sense than anything else they're going to get. Otherwise, they are going to get a very poor return on their investment. They've already gotten a very poor return on their investment. If they could do the whole thing over again, they clearly would. It has been a mess. And when you sell your soul to these players and let them run these franchises, you see what happens. Nothing good comes out of it. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Greg emails, I believe Tua has been criticized a bit too harshly so far in his career. The success of Berwin and Herbert is a factor, and Tua's lack luck is to play injuries as well. Uh, with Waddle and Tariq, can Tua get going? I think the biggest problem with Tua has been that I don't think he's ever been completely healthy. I think he suffered some very serious injuries. He was brought back too early. And they compensated for his lack of power in his arm because of these injuries that they put him in an offense and really never allowed him to show that he could throw the ball at all, which made it very tough to play the offense where they play it. It's going to be fascinating to see with the weapons he has now, especially with one of the game-breaking weapons of all time in Hill. That's what Hill is. And you don't have to just use Hill running deep patterns to use them successfully. You can use Hill to put pressure on the defense in every different way, including giving him the football in the backfield and hitting him in very, very intermediate routes 
where he can move and run after he catches the ball. So it's not like every ball has to be thrown, you know, with a bunch of air under it and 60 yards down the field. It's not the case. Listen, Tua's deserved some of what he's gotten. He hasn't been a losing player. He's won games. But his inability to throw the ball deep has been a huge issue. And he's got to show that he can throw the ball. Maybe not outside the numbers. There's a lot of guys in the league that cannot throw the ball efficiently outside the numbers. There's a lot of quarterbacks that rarely toy with throwing the ball outside the numbers. But he's got to be able to put the ball downfield more. And I don't see any reason why that can't be the case. He just needs to get healthier. This is Michael. One of the many reasons you were can't miss radio with Chris Russo and later was the caliber of your guests from Troy Aikman to Brad Thomas and all the names. These great, great guests are scarce on fan uh, and everywhere on radio is the business evolving. Um, I don't think that the success of my show or the Mike and Amado show was based. Uh, I don't think guests made or break it or made or broke our show. Uh, one thing we did, I always did, and we did it with Mike and Amado was we wanted guests for specific reasons, and we wanted headliner guests. We didn't want a lot of guests just for the sake of having guests. That's not what we did. We would rather be just do our own thing than do that. Take calls, battle back and forth, have our conversations, et cetera, et cetera. Now, with a one-man show, you're either going to take calls or you're going to have guests. You're not going to spend as much time with nothing else going on because you don't have another person to bounce things off. It's going to be, and it happens where you have your monologues and your moments, but it's not going to be as, as big a part of the show as it would be with a two man show. I I'm sure without having listened a whole lot lately, I'm sure they still get plenty of guests. I think it's how you utilize those guests and how you format the show both in terms of timing and in terms of content, is very important and is often overlooked. Mike in Oxford. Lots of talk about new contracts for Judge and down the road what Soto is going to bring. But is it not the toughest contract extension to attempt to do right now with the Angels and Otani? How would a GM even go about that? Um, he has no comps other than Babe Ruth. I think they have to come to a point where they have to treat Atani in a more specialized way. My meaning is this. I don't think you're ever going to get the best out of him in both worlds. I think you decide what he is. Now, I'm not saying that if you make him a full-time pitcher, which I don't think they would do, but if they did, that means he never hits. Wouldn't make sense. But the idea of where he is right now, you know, he has clearly received an 
incredible amount of attention. And rightly so, because he is, without any question, a unique talent. There is no way around that. He is, a, without question, a unique talent. We haven't seen anybody who can do this, okay? And it leads to a lot of different issues. But the question is, is this going to hamper you know, what he, what he winds up doing for his career. From a standpoint of, you know, where he is, say, offensively. I mean, he does have power. He's at 20 home runs this year, but he's batting 256. For his career, he's had, he's had solid years, but the years haven't been, at this point, overwhelming. You know, they're not crazy. So from that standpoint, I think you look at it and you say, how do I judge? I think utilization of him and how you're going to utilize him becomes a big issue. I really do. You know, because we know he can slug. We know he can be an everyday player. But he's a, he's a lifetime 260 hitter. He's going to hit home runs. We know that. I would think in the long haul, you would want to see what he would accomplish in a year where he does one or the other rather than both. Now, maybe they don't feel that way. Maybe they feel that that's not the way to play him going forward. I mean, this year, has he contributed in both ways? Yes. But that team, let's be honest, is always and nothing less. I think he, he, the team has been nothing short of a bitter disappointment. How can you have players of that magnitude? And the team never, ever wins. I mean, the team is right now, again, 15 games under 500. So clearly, having players of that magnitude together, where a lot of people would say they have the two best players. Now, Trout's getting a little on. Maybe he's not going to be the best player in baseball anymore. We'll see how that plays out. Injuries and everything else. But if I were the Angels... I would not keep both of them. And they have to be nothing short of bitterly disappointed where that team is and what that team continues to do. So they clearly have to really think about what they're doing with that team. And I think when you have talents that are unusual like that, spectacular in a lot of ways, yes, to be able to pitch the way he pitches and hit homers the way he hits, special, but... Also, how you utilize that to the best of your team's ability, playing inside your team concept, is not easy to do. Do you agree that sports journalism is becoming too political and driving fans away from all major sports? I think 
that leagues have had to address social issues. And that has not been very popular with people, no question. So you're in a camp where if you take a stand from, let's say, a league standpoint, before we deal with either a media standpoint or a player standpoint, when you take a stand, you're going to polarize a very big portion of your audience. So it's something from a sports standpoint you really don't want to do because right now in this country from a political standpoint, we are so polarized. We are so with our backs up against the other train of thought that we don't even consider accepting the other thought as reasonable or acceptable. So it's now become almost where it's so aggressive and so divided that there is no middle ground. So if you are a journalist or a media person or a player or a public figure or a league and you take a stand on any issue on one side, you have created enemies on the other side. And that means you've divided your audience and divided your customers. And if you're in the business of entertainment and in the business of selling a product, tickets, TV ratings, you don't want to tick off anybody. Now that's impossible to do if you mention anything. Do I think that journalists or media people have gone out of their way to be more political? I think a lot of this stuff hits them right square in the eyes and they have no choice, but I don't think they try to do it. I don't think there's any way around it right now because our social issues, our political discourse has become such a part of our everyday dialogue and it bleeds into sports as it bleeds into every topic. David in Long Island. Do you still feel that Montana is the best quarterback of all time? Here is my point that I have tried to make many times. I don't think there is one quarterback who is, without question, the best quarterback of all time. The best big game quarterback of all time was clearly Joe Montana. Go look at his stats. Take a piece of paper and write down Joe Montana's Super Bowl stats. Then write down Tom Brady's or anybody else's and you will see they pale in comparison. So how could you not make Montana? Now Brady has gone to the game many more times than Montana. He's also lost and he's had a couple of wins where he was very fortunate that there were team collapses around the other team or he wouldn't have won. Atlanta, as an example, he, that game should have never been close. Never should have been close. Tom Brady, what he has done and what he has continued to do at such an advanced age is remarkable. But when I look at the quarterbacks, I look at the everyday quarterbacks, meaning regular season and then the postseason. To me, 
the greatest postseason quarterback I ever saw was Joe Montana because go look at the numbers. He didn't make mistakes. So I'm not knocking Brady, but I don't think there's a number that says to me that Brady is automatically the best. Now, he's played the longest. He's won the most Super Bowls. If that's your, your criteria, fine. It might not be mine. I don't think there's one guy who you automatically stamp. There's guys who are great. There are more than a couple that are great. Brady, Montana are right there. But if you ask me, if I'm starting a Super Bowl, who's the player I want at quarterback? I want Montana. He's been the best Super Bowl quarterback of all time. And it's not close. Walter, it confounds me that the Mets have given a left-handed DH 134 bats this season and was hitting below the Mendoza line with no home runs. Um, listen, clearly the Mets have made a change there. Dom Smith, there are teams that want him. I think he will be in a package. He will be traded, I think, by August 2nd. I think he knows that. He's a very good kid. He came back and had a wonderful year, and then last year he didn't do a good job. He has not done the job this year. And I think that clearly he will be well served to go to hopefully a team where he gets to play every day. And I think you'll get a very solid player, useful. I think he can play every day. He's a good fielder. I think he'll hit a little bit. I just think he needs a chance to play every day. But it's not going to happen here. And he's already obviously been moved out. Rich emails, where do you sit on banning the shift? I'm against banning the shift. I think you have to let the sport handle that themselves. And if we have hitters who utterly refuse, even in situations, to take advantage of the shift, then shame on them. But if they want to continue to drive the ball into an overcrowded right side, let's say left-handed pull hitters, and want to continue to do that, and they fail miserably in terms of their statistics, that's their fault. Not mine. And not the defenses. I wouldn't legislate against it. I would make the sport settle it where it doesn't make sense to do it anymore. And you make teams pay for that. That's the way it should be done naturally. Uh, I think you do have a 50-50 chance that they legislate against it, but I would be against that. Keep your emails coming. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. We'll have a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, look for Bobby Valentine on the Subway Series coming up. That should be tomorrow. We'll have other stuff later in the week. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week. 
on the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missanelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.